If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Glory is what God has that we can only reflect or get tastes of in part. Uh, and, and, and maybe mostly in things that, that resemble God in some way. We talk about God as love. Like the feeling I got when I first saw my wife. Maybe not just saw, but like beheld that I really like noticed. Or being in a, in a live orchestra, uh, like listening to an orchestra playing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Sometimes maybe even in, in church feeling a taste of the transcendent glory of God. All echoes of God that should draw us to the creator and giver of every good gift. And so today we, we want to look at this, this, this idea of, of transform to behold God's glory and see how we can experience that today. And how in that glory of God, we can experience freedom and confidence in every aspect of our lives. So... How to experience the freedom and confidence in your heart through seeing the glory of the Lord. And there's going to be three things, and don't worry, it's going to be quick showing, but this slide is going to show nine times in this sermon. Number one, remove the veil. Number two, behold the glory of Christ. Three, don't just be satisfied with past glory. All right, we're going to start at the end, and we're going to explain... We're going to start at the end, we're going to talk about it, then we're going to go back to the beginning, and then we're going to go and talk to her through the end again. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Where's glory? Glory is in seeing, or, or it's more intensely than seeing, because there's things you see, and there are things that you behold. And this is like beholding the Lord, that is, I think, Jesus Christ. We are transformed into his image from glory to even more glory. And all of this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this is an interesting thing. We're going to talk about it in a second. But first, we're going to back up even more. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And this is a text that, like, you can just sort of plop out of context. Because the Lord is, is freedom. And you would apply that to, like, what we think of as freedom. But it has a very specific context. Because we like the idea of freedom. It's like William Wallace. It's like, like they may take away our lives, but they will never take away our freedom. Ah! Like, like we like, like that kind of freedom. 
Like, I'm an American, so it's like, give me liberty or give me death. Yeah. <laughs> or the American's more likely usually, give me liberty or give some other people some death. <laughs> but the freedom here is a very specific freedom, and that's the freedom to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Which is actually, like... Like the most freeing and the most glorious thing, better than any freedom that anyone could ever imagine, is the freedom to see God and be transformed by him. And that's the freedom that's in Christ Jesus. The freedom to behold the glory of Christ. In the Christian life, it might seem like a bunch of rules, a bunch of things to go to. But it's actually the only kind of freedom that leads to glory. And in fact, the world out there has more rules and more problems that all just lead to death and hopelessness. While in Christ, in the spirit, there is true freedom that leads from one glory to even more glory. Okay, we have to talk about this. Verse 17, it says... The Lord is the Spirit. Now, this is an interesting verse. And we have to talk about capitalization. Uh, this, is, this is, you know, when I first started reading the Bible, I, I, got, I, uh, I got into things. So when we talk about God, personal name of God, or a pronoun referring to God, we capitalize it. Like, this S is capitalized Spirit. And so you might think, this is definitely talking to the Holy Spirit. But in the original languages... There are no capital letters. In fact, capital letters as we know them wouldn't be invented for another 1,400 years after the time of Christ. In fact, they were all capital letters. They just wrote all block capitals. That was all of the letters. And so when they put these here, these are interpretive, interpretive, educated ideas of what it is. Because I'm going to show you, and I hope for the text, that when it says the Lord is the Spirit, it doesn't mean that the Lord, and the Lord Jesus here, I think is the, the context, the Lord Jesus is the Holy Spirit. But what it means is the Lord Jesus is the inauguration of the age of the Spirit in comparison to the Old Covenant under Moses. Okay? I just said that, and I'll go through, and I'll hopefully prove it to you. Now, it all refers to, and I just said, the Old Covenant under Moses, and we have to go back, not just to our text here, we have to go back to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 44, remember, Moses goes up, Ten Commandments, and this is like the second time he goes up after the whole smashing idols thing. But in Exodus 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, and I just picture Charlton Heston, you can picture something else. He came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Oh, his beholding of God had made his face shine in, in a kind of glory. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. They were afraid to come near him because they knew 
But God is a consuming fire, like the mountain is smoking. All They have to put up boundaries around because if people touch it, they might die. And here is this man who's gone up, who now displays something of God's glory. And they're thinking, whoa, we are sinful people among, among, among an unclean people. And maybe we are going to be consumed by this glory. Now, we don't have to spend too much time interpreting this verse, these, this text, because Paul is going to do it for us. Nice. I don't have to do any work today. I just have to read for you, Paul. Now, if the ministry of death, ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, so I think we can figure out what he's talking about, the Ten Commandments and Moses, the ministry of death. Now, it's the ministry of death, because not because it couldn't give life, but because no one had a heart to follow it. If this ministry came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So we talk about Jesus Christ is the Spirit, and the context here is important. So ministry of the spirit when it's talking about the spirit it's not specifically talking about the holy spirit although i mean the holy spirit is includes the ministry of spirit so that you can call it but what it's talking about isn't the specific thing but the whole thing of the new covenant under christ as compared to the mosaic covenant with its laws and principles it doesn't mean that jesus the Lord Jesus is the Spirit, but the Lord Jesus is the age of the Spirit, which includes all the work of Christ poured into our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. In summary, what Moses goes through is that to the people he's speaking to, don't be satisfied with past glory. I mean, just because the Mosaic Covenant was good and it came with glory, don't just be satisfied with past glory because Moses' fading glory pointed to an even greater glory, the glory of the God-man, Christ Jesus. For, Paul just continues the thought that we were talking, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Here he says, ministry of condemnation, that's the old covenant. Ministry of righteousness, that's the new covenant under Christ. Because we get a new heart and a new spirit, not just to, not just for, you know, a random thing, but that we would actually live in the righteousness of God. Indeed. In this case, one once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. You know, some, some nights the moon can be pretty glorious, especially now, like when there's snow on the ground. You can like walk outside on a moonlit night. You can just like, you can just go around. Like it's, it's, it's like I've driven before. I just like turn off my headlights to you know, save them because I'm Dutch and I'm, I'm that cheap. Because the moon is so bright, you can just drive. But when the sun comes up, no matter how bright the moon, the sun brings it to nothing. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, how much more what is 
permanent have glory. Moses is, or, uh, Paul's going to go on. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Paul can have confidence even though he has, and in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians it talks about all of the devastating problems he's had. He can have boldness because of the power of Jesus Christ. And if he can see Jesus Christ, he can face even death. Behold the glory of Christ. We can be bold too because of the great hope of the new covenant in Jesus Christ, where we can draw near to God, not based on our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We talk about, like, why did the Israelites shrink away from the brightness of Moses' face? Because they were in fear and in shame because it was too bright for them. But in Christ robed in his righteousness, having every sin that we have ever committed or will commit forgiven at the cross, we can step into the light of God unafraid and unashamed, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, beholding the glory of Christ. Now, what about this veil? Now the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So this glory made them turn away, and Paul notes how it was a fading glory. It was a, it was a glory that, that would it would pop up, but then like slowly fade. He would go in and it would fade away, which was symbolic of the fact that this first covenant was going to be superseded by the new covenant, which would give God, not just as an external command, but into our hearts. This fading glory represented by this veil that Moses wore was representative of a sad reality for many Jewish people who should be delighting in their Messiah, but were actually turning away from him. For their minds were hardened, literally hard-headed. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, Paul has an Old Covenant here, said the ministry of death, the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Paul here makes a commentary of the past history of Israel. They saw the glory of God reflected in Moses, but instead of being drawn nearer to God in intimacy and fellowship, they said, no, we want to put up a veil. We don't want that much glory. And in the same way, they don't want to come to the glory of Christ because there's a barrier there. And this is what like, like the law is without grace to us. 
It's a glorious thing to look at the Christian life in all of its fullness, to live according to all God's commands. But if we don't see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, all it can do is condemn us. Now he says it's the same even to the present day for Paul. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. So it's minds first, now it's hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And such it is, not just with the Jews, but with every person who does not know Christ. A veil keeps them from seeing the transforming power and glory of Jesus Christ that would be able to change their lives. So, with this now, we can return to the last two verses. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, he is the Spirit, in that he is the inauguration of the age of the Spirit. In this age of the Lord's Spirit, there is freedom because we are not under the Old Covenant, which, in verse 6, killed. In verse 8, was death. In verse 9, condemned. In verse 11, was destined to fade away. Instead, in Christ, we can be a part of the new covenant, promised in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where the law would be in our hearts and God would put his spirit among us and in us. And this would, in verse 6, give life. In verse 9, be righteousness. In verse 11, be permanent. And in verse 17, would be freedom. Freedom to experience all of God's glory reflected in Jesus Christ. Through the power of the Spirit coming unto Christ and in Christ having access to the Father of all. And then we get to the amazing pleasure and joy of salvation because coming to God by way of the Son through the Holy Spirit, we get to remove the veil. And we all, with unveiled face, know nothing in between us and God. We get to behold the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, being in every circumstances, seeing his glory by the Holy Spirit, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this is really interesting. One degree of glory to another. Ah, there's a communion cup here. From one degree of glory to another. And so that we are not just satisfied with past glories in Christ. We can never be satisfied with, a, okay, one time I filled out this card. Now, boom, I'm a Christian. I'm good. Because that's not the Christian life. The Christian life isn't making some decision. The Christian life isn't even some extreme spiritual experience. 
It's those things, but it's that glory and more glory being transformed one from one glory to another until we are conformed into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. And so, what shall we do? One, remove the veil. How do we remove the veil from our hearts and minds? But when one turns to the Lord, it is taken away. It's like in Jesus Christ, no matter what you think might be preventing you from the glory of God, is taken away. Your sin, your shame, your cowardice, your distraction, your propensity to like look at your phone unthinkingly and waste all the time in your life. Ugh. Like all of that, take it away. The veil is removed so that by the spirit, we can behold the glory of God more and more. This is true for people who don't know Christ. And turning to the Lord again, like this is true for those who have maybe known Christ for a long time, but this world has a way of making our vision grow dull. It's a little bit like my car. This time of year, you, you know, you go, you take, you start your car, you go and you park it. And what happens after you park your car? If you haven't driven it for very long, especially. It gets cold, but then the ice like comes and it fogs up the window. So that when you go in, you can't see properly. You have to like scrape like a little like three inch thing and like just look like that and drive around dangerously <laughs> because I don't want to wait for very long. But you know how you can prevent this? It only works if there's no clouds. Instead of parking away from the sun, like you might do in the summer, you park towards the sun because the light of the sun will keep things clear so that you can see. When the same life, we need to always be turning our lives to the Son, to Jesus Christ, so that the cold of this world is burnt off and we can see clearly the glory of God displayed in Jesus Christ. Second, which I already said, behold the glory of God. Now, beholding the glory of God is easy in those few and fleeting moments of transcendence. And, and you think about glory as like the most glorious experiences of your life, the things when everything clicked, when you have all joy filling your heart. Maybe it's like listening to worship. Maybe it's like, like in, in different experiences of your life. But here's the thing. You can experience Jesus' glory in every aspect of your life, even the lowest moments, because the glory of Christ is hidden in the opposite. How did Christ come? He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus' glory was hidden, but it was real. Paul, as he writes this, being transformed from glory to glory, he has just told us the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And yet, Paul is bold and confident despite the outer circumstances 
because his inner man is being renewed in Christ. And there is some, there is some treasure here, and this goes in every time that we are low, to know that Jesus Christ has been lower, and in that humbled state, experienced God. And so that when we are in the most dire straits, if we look to behold Jesus in those, maybe Jesus in his cross, maybe Jesus when he was betrayed, maybe Jesus in just the normal sufferings of life, if we behold that, we get to taste something of God's glory that may even be better than the glory of the mountaintop. Which is why the Bible says things like this, like all the time. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of what? Glory and of God rests on you. Now, why is insulting being with glory? Well, who did they insult first? They insulted Jesus Christ. And so beholding his glory which is not just his ascension, but his glory is in his suffering, in his death, in the grave, and then his ascension to follow. And so when we look to Christ, not just in the high points of life, but in the, every aspect of life, beholding the glory of Christ, not just in the highs, but in the lows, because Christ experienced every aspect of life from the greatest to the lowest. We can experience Christ in everything as well. And finally, don't be satisfied with past glory. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Instead of the fading glory of the old covenant, in Christ there is glory and more glory. Don't be satisfied today with some past glory of conversion or experience of the Spirit. But seek more of the heart of Jesus Christ daily. Don't think, I've looked at him once, this is enough. No, look at him again and again, transformed daily from one glory to another glory, never thinking that you have attained it because the glory of the infinite God always outpaces, always outpaces what we can experience of him. So that we are transformed not all at once, but one degree to another. Until the day when we see him face to face and are transformed. Remove the veil. Behold the glory of Christ. Don't just be satisfied with past glory. But only Christ. Only in looking to Christ again and again. Can we behold the glory of God and be transformed into the same. Let's pray.